We are Jerry and Will on a podcast. I think you might go with like a yeehaw on this one, <laughs> given who we are uh, interviewing. Oh, yeah. 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 There you go. Yeehaw. Um, <laughs> I always wonder how many people like, are like, all right, yeah, I'll check out their podcast. <laughs> they get like 15 seconds me, and they're like, like screaming, whoa, okay. Like, what is happening? <laughs> um, Welcome to Finding My Yum. Uh, today we have Ben Whitehair. Uh, I've known him for years, and um, I think it's funny because since I started this podcast, I've been talking about sex and love and relationships with so many more people. But even the people that I've known for a while, I've been able to connect with in just a different way. And so it was cool to connect with him on this episode because there's a lot of things about him that I didn't know. Uh, because it's conversations that we've never had. So uh, it was cool. We, I, you know, I've been talking about how I've really w- been wanting to talk to men about this idea about rigid masculinity mm-hmm. and like the box that we put around masculinity and sexual expression within that. And uh, Ben is great. We talk all about, we talk a lot about non-monogamy and his upbringing, what mm-hmm. I, which I think is so cool is that for a majority of like his puberty and like big time growing in like high school and middle school, he was in on a ranch, Mm -hmm. which is like the most like stereotypical stereotypical masculine masculine, type thing. And then to come out of it with this beautiful um, openness Mm -hmm. and willingness to experiment and uh, just accept everybody and, and also really question his own, desires and what he wanted it's just so cool yeah i thought um his what he had to say about that kind of stuff really resonated with me on the like at least just coming from middle america and right from, right like, right my town is like a tobacco town and like i was yeah. not obviously on those farms but i grew up around everybody that was and just seeing like there is very much like rigid lines of like this is what you can do and this is what you can't yeah. but on the other side of things my high school class of like 100 people had probably eight gay people that were Which out is- a lot and more than mine yeah. with, from Tucson, Arizona, you know, like. So, so you almost wonder, like, is it the more, like, you feel restricted, the more people are, like, wanting to buck that trend now that ah, they're doing things. I don't know. But, like, it was, yeah, it's really interesting. I think Ben offers a lot of uh, interesting uh, stories around that. Yeah. yeah. He's divine. <laughs> You're all going to truly enjoy him. This message brought to you by Catherine Hepburn. Cool. Bye. Thanks. Nice having you on, Catherine. <laughs> Enjoy. I'm feeling yummy head to toe. You see me? Ain't got no patience, so let's go. Welcome to Finding My Yum. We are here with Ben Whitehair. He is actor, business entrepreneur, everything extraordinaire. I didn't ask you how you wanted me to... Uh, like what your title was so <laughs> i just riffed there but I human being right. oh great actor entrepreneur champion for social change through art and business oh there we go oh yeah it's a much better title than what jerry gave <laughs> i i put in extraordinaire and i think that yeah, that's always that's like extraordinaire useful. is pretty good yeah i mean my instagram <laughs> says that i'm an actor an entrepreneur and a business and mindset coach so okay <laughs> great <laughs> Yay, we did it. Um, well, thank you for being here. I've known you for I've known you for years now. Yeah. Which is exciting through like the emotional intelligence program yeah. from ITT. And then we've been doing an acting workshop that yeah. you got me involved in for yeah, so it's been A like while. 
three or four years. Three. Three? Time in it's Los Angeles crazy. means nothing to me. Um, but I'm even more excited that you're on this podcast because, uh, well, we've never had these conversations before. And so when you were recommended with, from a friend, I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> this is like a new layer that I can pull back of like friendship with yeah. this person, which is exciting. I'm, I'm excited to be here. To, I, I love what you're up to in terms of having these conversations because I think that's where, that's where we make progress and where we can release the shame that people have around these things that leads to not good things. Yeah, fear, <laughs> violence. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I'm particularly excited to talk to you about multiple things, but I think one of the big things that we were talking about, especially with men, is a, like sex education and upbringing and sort of this idea of rigid masculinity and how that impacted your life specifically. Because I think we were talking before about how... Um, you know, the shame that did come up for you Mm -hmm. and also this openness of wanting to explore and figure out what else is out there. Yeah, I had an interesting childhood, to say the least. I mean, who hasn't? But uh, (laughs) I, for a very brief context, uh, I grew up in the suburbs, a very traditional, like, middle, upper middle class, white family in the suburbs, uh, 2.3 2.3 kids and a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, uh, and we, we started homeschooling, so I started to have a somewhat non-traditional uh, oh. experience with that. I was, I was homeschooling. And then when my parents got divorced, long story short, I, I moved out to a ranch and I lived in the middle of nowhere and uh, had a very uh, traditional country upbringing. I was a cowboy. I was a bull rider. I was a team <laughs> roper. I'm a champion sheep and dairy cow showman. You are? I am. That's amazing. I am. Um, I lived in, I'm from Tucson, Arizona, and we had the rodeo every year, and I never went. <laughs> well, you missed out. I it's know. very entertaining. I'm sure. I, I don't recommend going into rodeo uh, sure. at this point in your life. Uh, hey. But um, I can do anything I want to, ben. You can. I'm just saying I don't recommend it. <laughs> you would be fine. <laughs> Uh, so I, I then had a very, very different experience, both in terms of culture, of context, you know, sex, sexuality, relationships were all treated, I think, very differently in those scenarios. And, uh, my, my mom's second husband, my, my stepdad for a while, uh, was the quintessential, like rigid definition of masculinity. Mm. Uh, he also was an abusive alcoholic who went on to commit murder, suicide. Wow. And, oh my God. Uh, yeah, that's like the tip of the iceberg. I have a long, I'm happy to share that story as well, but um, different podcast. Yeah. And, but that, that was a big piece of it because it really informed, it, I sort of had these dueling experiences of what it is to be a man. And when I was growing up before my parents got divorced, I, looking back, I'm like, I think I had a pretty relatively healthy experience of masculinity and not a lot of shame around anything in particular. Like it was a pretty healthy, stable upbringing. And How then, old were you when your parents? Uh, eleven. Okay. Eleven into twelve, mm. and so then for those formative years as a teenager, that that was very shaped by you're a cowboy. Men don't cry. Uh, you know, uh, the woman's job is to stay in the home, and the man's job is to be out doing physical labor. Um, all of the things that you might think of as traditional, rigid often unhealthy masculinity. I, partly I mentioned the violence because I, you know, I, I saw it turning into those things. And, you know, Mike, my stepdad was an abusive alcoholic and, you know, was emotionally abusive to us kids. And 
and emotionally and physically abusive to my mom. And I, and I see a lot of those things as the uh, outcome often of this rigid masculinity mm. that, we, that we put people in. So I think because I had that initial foundation, I, I, I rebelled against that. Like I remember like I've been a recover, I'm a recovering nail biter and I actually don't bite my you nails anymore. You were recovering? You know what? That I aim to be that, and my almost thirty years, and I'm going strong. My buddy, uh, <laughs> who I went to college with, uh, I respect her, is uh, he just posted off. He's been a intense nail biter since I've, his whole life, and he just posted a picture on Facebook uh, that he stopped because of Pete Buttigieg, and he was like seeing Pete, he, he, Iris Gay, and he was saying, you know, seeing him and Chastin and like this. Anything is possible, and the world's a new place, and it's like giving me a renewed hope. Whoa. And he's like, "I stopped chewing my nails." Wow, I need. I was inspired. To watch I was like, That's awesome. So I'm a recovering more. nail biter. Yeah. And I remember, uh, you know, one of the uh, tactics that I used to to deal with that is I always have a nail file. I have one in my bag, and I file my nails relatively often because if they get uneven, like my brain goes crazy, I and I like go to chew them. Um, but so, and that, and I got it from my dad. My dad's a nail biter, and. I remember being on a, on the ranch, like a dude filing your nails. I mean, what what the fuck, man? Sure. Like, yeah, that's you know, prissy. In yeah, like prissy. Yeah, and I've always cared about like a general level of care about my image, about like taking a shower every morning, and <laughs> I uh, the sure. way I look when I dress, and all of those things were very much shamed uh, when I was living on a ranch. You know, it was like prissy, and if oh. like you know, fucking just get in the mud and shut up and you know not not a safe space to have emotions and and around masculinity it was very much like you know drink beer and work really hard and be tough and don't cry and don't show vulnerability um did you were you homeschooled at this point as well yeah so i homeschooled through basically fourth through ninth grade so i started when i was in the suburbs parents got divorced moved out to the boonies continued to homeschool uh, all the way through my freshman year of high school okay and and then i uh moved back in with my biological dad uh, in the suburbs. And then for the last three years of high school, I went to a big public high school in Colorado, oh. back in the suburbs. Wow. And then as far as like sex education went then, what, especially being homeschooled, I imagine it wasn't part of the curriculum. Well, interestingly, it was in the... Before my parents got divorced, I remember, because it was at our old house, my mom gave me I, I was a voracious reader I still am I love reading and uh and so she my sex education started with a very 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 uh thick book that was I think it's called something like everything you need to know about sex or you know some title like that yeah all uh, encompassing like yeah all <laughs> encompassing and it's it was relatively clinical and we're talking like 500 pages so I'm like all right cool like start reading through it and I remember <laughs> very specifically I was like on the couch one day reading it and and it was describing oral sex, but they the the term they used was oral genital sex, <laughs> and and I was like they instead were, of oral mouth, well sex? just like kissing, would that be is that what I mean I, I just, it's just oral sex like it's just like oral genital sex as a term like I've never heard since that book it's like it's just oral sex I like it it's like a clarifier yeah. they're <laughs> on my lips which exactly which you would <laughs> but I, but I was struggling to conceptualize because it they weren't like. There were some uh, like drawings throughout the book. They didn't have a picture. But they like, didn't have a picture. Then I'm like, okay, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand what they're describing right now. Like, I don't get this. I remember I walked into the kitchen and I, I went to my, I asked my mom. I said, Mom, what's oral genital sex? <laughs> <laughs> and she looked at me 
like just sort of this, you know, a parent as you do when out of nowhere your Shit. kid asks you that. And 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 I was like, I, I think she's like, what, where did you hear that? I'm like, the book you gave me. <laughs> like I'm being a good, <laughs> like I'm reading the thing you gave me. Um, I don't remember what her answer was. I don't remember if it was very I helpful. I would love but. to know like what they actually wrote about it too. Like what it looked like when they were like. I think I maybe <laughs> still have that. <laughs> I don't know. I've recondoed it out maybe. But it was, it. so there was, it was interesting because it was, there was a level of openness in that, which was like, hey, like everything's in this book, but there was no real conversation Right. After that, and which so, I think is a really important piece to it. And so I don't important. know if you remember in this book if there was anything that dealt with because it sounds very anatomical, uh, but was pretty there anatomical. any relationship or like communication or consent things that were embedded within it? I mean, Certainly not that I remember. Yeah, um, I mean it was very comprehensive about like everything, that, but also not quite that helpful to go. Okay, what do I do with this? I mean, right. the other thing I was thinking about earlier was it wasn't until later on like when I'd already been sexually active when I finally learned what getting tested actually means like I knew that you needed to get tested but I was like is there a scantron somewhere mm-hmm. like what like <laughs> what, what does that mean where do I go yeah. and it, what no one had ever said oh you go get a blood test at the doctor the next time you have a doctor visit and the doctors didn't talk with me about that either which is also a failing of our healthcare system um Ugh. Do not get me started but on so, testing. I <laughs> don't like the lack I mean, it's of a podcast. Follow-through. You can get started on it. I will start then. <laughs> uh, no, my it's I so just important. recently had a, an experience where I went to my physician and I was like, I want STD testing. They tested for fucking AIDS and that's it. And then didn't give me the results. No. And I, was like, I was like, I'm sorry. I asked for comprehensive STD testing and you only tested wow. for AIDS and then you didn't follow up about it. I was like, this is wrong. Now I've been walking around thinking that I've been tested and that I'm. Yeah. Fine because you didn't call me and like how dare you this is my health and now you're affecting the rest of the population and uh-huh. this can't be like an isolated as- I was I was so fierce they hate me I called it's, them so many it's times it's unacceptable yeah. and it's I mean uh, the um, there are various free testing places around Los Angeles yes. which I've used because also they're cheaper than my doctor like the amount unless I've hit my deductible already it costs me an insane amount of money to get tested at the yeah. doctor, which is crazy. Yeah. But so I've gone to the LGBT centers and others, you know, mm-hmm. wherever where they do the free testing around town. And it's great. And yeah. it's in the app and I can see and I can see all the different tests. Um, and I Frank, I, I'm fortunate I have a great doctor. And then you can show other people. Yeah. Like, hey, here, look, like, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm clean. I'm clean. Let's get freaky. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. So I, I, it wasn't until way later that I even realized what getting tested was. And to me, that's so sad. Like that is what should be part? Hey, what is? Well, you got to get tested. That means a doctor right. or a healthcare clinic is going to draw blood. You're going to pee in a cup, and they're going to do some maybe mouth swab, whatever, and then they will give you your results. Oh, okay. Right. Like now I know that, yeah. but it wasn't until way later that I actually learned. Oh, okay. I get it now. Yeah. So then, um, when you went back to school, so was like. I don't know. It's interesting this dichotomy you talk about at Ranch because I've had, I've had very limited experience with men who identify so strongly with this like classic idea of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Like I, one guy in particular was from the South, and it was so bizarre because I felt like in a lot of ways he was progressive, but that there were like rigid ideas of where I was supposed to be, especially in sex, that like came up in ways that I was like, I don't, I can't even, I don't understand how to 
communicate mm-hmm. with you because like there's such a block of like where you th- like even like control like he was unable to relinquish control at yeah. all um, which I thought was really interesting and I was like I've never come up against this so like were you were you watching porn was there a conversation within your family like was sex something that was talked about? Kind of not really I um, I remember before my parents got divorced I mean this was uh, early, uh, when family when when certain families were able to have computer, you know, we we were early on people having computers in our home and dial up internet. Mm-hmm. And I remember my neighbors like we would there would be like Sports Illustrated swimsuit websites, and you and you would watch there are people of of men of my age I I know will resonate with this where you like watching the image slowly appear line by line as you're like watching like oh and then there's the top of their head and then there's their forehead and then there's their eyes and it's like loading super (laughs) slowly exactly very titillating (laughs) like in some ways way better than just full access to streaming pornography and I remember at like I would print off some of those pictures and like most some of them were like actual pornography but mostly it was like bikini type photos and then and and so I remember like there's somebody probably like oh I want to see that later and so I would write down the URL but the URL was like 50 characters (laughs) (laughs) and so I'm like writing down the URL of this like photo on the internet that some random site you know dot com slash x7143 underscore pound forward slash ampersand (laughs) hope I can get that right later yeah uh so that was part of it and then I do remember my dad gave my brother and I I don't think he gave my sister an equivalent though she was also four years younger uh at some point there were there were Sports Illustrated swimsuit magazines and then I think there were actual porn magazines at some point that he gave you I think so what yeah gift. yeah That's nice um I over, was there discussion around it, or that's was it the just thing. like there here? was not that much discussion? There was yeah, some, and and so as I got older, my dad got better and better at that, um, and he sort of in many ways became kind of a single dad, and and my mom and the ranch world became so ultra conservative, and then I, we actually didn't talk for a long time, mm. um, so those conversations got better, and and now we have one hundred percent open conversations about all of this. Wow. I talk about all of these things with both of my siblings, um, who. Uh, one of whom is also a lot of non-traditional one one who's in a pretty traditional uh relationship and some relatively traditional things around sex and sexual sexuality and one who's not um and we t- we all talk about it we talk about it with my dad he's extremely open so you know I- and just in terms of the shame you spoke of was that really about when you were on the ranch and that was like physical appearance and sort of caring about that or that was part of it it was it was shame around that it was shame anything that was non-traditional rigid masculinity was shamed and there was no space for Mm. so I think that was part of it I think other things outside of sexuality around just the deeply unhealthy nature of of my mom and and stepdad there created a lot of the like underlying stories that led to not feeling enough and other shame that translated into not being able to have it was basically not being able to be vulnerable and not a safe space to share my emotions and feeling like my emotions weren't valid um and later that turned into like uh, a lot of my earlier relationships in my in my teens and early 20s I also one of the things that was interesting was I because of the relationship with my mom I think I basically made up the story that 
a woman's belief about relationships, sexuality, all of that was way more valid than a man's. And, Hmm. and part of that was the way that my parents divorce happened and the way they shared about it and the things that happened between them. And so I, I, for a long time had this context and still navigate like, Oh, my feelings are equally valid here because it, interestingly, I've, I spent a lot of my relationships believing like, Oh, well my partner thinks this way, therefore that must be right. Oh crap. That mean like mm-hmm. now I have this huge struggle because I don't believe that I don't feel that way. That's not my experience. That doesn't work for me. But it wasn't until the emotional intelligence work that we've done and others that I began to have the tools to actually have those conversations. Uh, just to quick clarifying, you said emotional and vulner like emotional space and vulnerable vulnerability in your household wasn't like appreciated. Was that just for men or was that also for women? Because in my conception, where there is violence, um, mm-hmm. female vulnerability and emotion emotions often are perceived as hysteria or like too much or um, Mm -hmm. lead to violence as well. So I'm just curious if that came into it at all because I I don't want to speak for my sisters, but my guess is they would share a a similar, maybe slightly different like experience uh, of what it looked like. But I mean, look, it wasn't a safe space to to be yourself. I guess I mean like from watching your mom, um, just operate like whether that was sort of the message too of I don't know if that resonates. Yeah, I mean it was in a in an uh, um in an environment of abuse, everybody takes on different roles as as coping mechanisms and survival mechanisms to appease the abuser yeah. generally or or to navigate it in different ways. And so each of us kind of took on different roles in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because of my age, I, I was one who sort of pushed back a little bit more. Um, and by merits of being the oldest, I I didn't, I don't think I got, I, I know I didn't get as poorly, like w- way worse things happened to my other mm-hmm. siblings than did me. Um, it was all shitty. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, but it's in, I mean, and I, as I look at everybody dealing with it, like, yeah, it was, I mean, it was not a safe space. Yeah, it was So, and, and I think that's a lot of what led to my mom's eventual uh, mental health. I mean, it was a long journey of, of mental health issues and yeah. really tragic uh, change of how she was in life um, that all very much are, I think, related to, like, yeah, no one could be themselves. No one could share actually what they were feeling. And it was a a tremendous amount of secrecy. And that's when I talk about shame, I think part of it was, yes, around sex and sexuality, around what it is to be a man, like there's all these rigid definitions, but also there there weren't, there was no space to explore who you were or who mm-hmm. you want to be or what does that look like or what, you know, just general sort of self-expression. It was like, no, no, you wear your cowboy hat and your belt buckle and your jeans and that's what this looks like and that's how it operates and this is how men behave. And interestingly, like I'm, I'm, talking about the negative, you know, effects of a lot of that. Also, there is when in, in a healthy way, there are elements of that that are are really either just wonderful and healthy and supportive. Um, and also some some I would say a little bit old fashioned, but some of those beliefs and culture come from, I think, in a way, a good space of, you know, uh, I think many men believe like, yeah, no, no, I'm for example, holding a door open for a woman. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's what you do. And it's a level of respect in the culture around like, yeah, no, we do that. And it's not 
oh, you're weak and can't hold the door for right. yourself, but that's a polite thing to do. Yeah, it's a gesture. You know, mm-hmm. and so that kind of Southern gentleman piece, interestingly, was also part of that culture and that upbringing. And like, that is how you uh, behave around women or these other mm-hmm. things that on, on some level were around the context of uh, ostensibly supporting a- and or... Um, yeah, supporting women in some particular way. Yeah. I think uh, the reason why I asked that question about sort of the female aspect of it is because my relationship and experience of, like, verbal and emotional abuse and, like, a small amount of physical is that my emotions were perceived if they got too high to hysteria. Like, it was too much or I was in the wrong. So, I yeah, I think that was, like, sort of where my brain was going to. Well, and... To be clear, all of the research is very, very comprehensive and and crystal clear that emotional and physical abuse have the same negative impacts Mm -hmm. on people's well-being. So for anyone out there who's experiencing, like I think we often diminish, like, well, I wasn't physically abused. Right. Or because I'll say the same thing, like mostly it was emotional abuse and like one time I was basically thrown down the stairs. But I, it's like, well, it was mostly emotional. Look, what if you're in that kind of, situation like it's just as it's bad whether someone's damaging. being physical or right. not we, it there's something the about thing. like having like a physical scar or something that you can point to whereas mm-hmm. like emotional is a little bit trickier to yeah, it is and it's and not as blatant yeah and i think that's where a lot of the mm-hmm. struggle on dealing with mental health is because it's not as visible yeah. right we don't see it the same way whereas oh you have cancer or you your leg was amputated it's very right. clear it's oh got it. We can see it as opposed to oh your neurons are hijacking your brain and making you feel like you should die. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then moving forward there, what you there, you were saying that there wasn't like a particular moment where you're like, Oh, I want to explore or find something that's potentially, potentially non-traditional. But in the last couple of years, you've started to explore that a little bit more. Well, I think there was a, well, so I, I left the ranch. I mm-hmm. moved out uh, and went to, like I said, a, a big public high school and pretty early on found theater, among other things. I was a nerd. I did everything. I was a, uh, yeah, I was a huge nerd. <laughs> I say as if it's in the past. Um, <laughs> I, I was and am a huge nerd. And, and one of the things that I am so grateful for, like my high school experience was incredible. There were no clicks mm. um, and one of the reasons looking back that I think I so fell in love with, with theater and art was it was, it was an inclusive community. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I, I don't think I would have identified this at the time, but I, I think it was the first time in my teenage years where everybody was accepted no matter, like it was the opposite of you have to behave this way and look this way and have these particular yeah. emotions. It was like, actually you can be anything you want and we celebrate it and you can be weird and different or strange or normal or whatever. And, and we had all types in the theater program. It wasn't, yeah. Oh, well there's only like the theater geeks. It was who were kids who were playing sports and doing all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think that honestly was the first step in my healthy exploration around relationships and sexuality. Um, probably because it, it was a little bit incestuous, but also it was high school. And, uh, but that was where a lot of those conversations I think started. And I, and I was having open, very open, honest conversations with my peers about everything, including sex, sexuality and relationships. You know, we didn't, I think have the same tools that I have now. Mm-hmm. So the context of that, but you know, and I had a, a buddy in high school who 
essentially took me under his wing I, and uh, to teach me how to date, really, <laughs> um, because I was a dweeb. I, I was a cowboy who had a an old man haircut and wore Hawaiian shirts and looked like a child <laughs> and lots of bad acne. Is that what cowboys look like? <laughs> no, but I was rebelling against cowboys, so oh, I don't know. Apparently, that turned into Hawaiian, Hawaiian shirts. I guess that, I guess that was the opposite. <laughs> that was the opposite of cowboy was Hawaiian shirts. And uh, yeah, I was. I, let's just say I was not uh, Rico Suave uh, <laughs> in in high school. And my my buddy uh, basically took me under his wing, and we, you know, he sort of taught me how to approach women and how to dress, and like, and it was, and you know, metrosexual was the term that was in vogue at the time, and it was like, yeah, I guess that's like what I am because I care about the clothes I'm wearing and cool, and that sort of became. Uh, more accepted, and I think that that is really what launched me into uh, a different way of being around around all of that. Mm-hmm. Did you feel? Because I think that this is really interesting. Like, in terms of sexuality, were you always very clear that you were interested in women, or yeah, just women? Because I think I I don't think I ever thought that I was interested in in my same sex, but I didn't feel overwhelmingly like there wasn't permissibility if I wanted to be, whereas I feel like... There was definitely no permissibility right. <laughs> up until... I mean, my my parents uh, were very, very progressive liberals in the 70s, hmm. and my my godfather is gay, my sister's godfather is gay, and homosexuality, like all of that was very open and accepted... Uh, from my biological parents mm-hmm. out on the ranch and in that context it absolutely was not and gay was a slur and you know sissy and all of that was all a very very negative thing mm. but so my initial upbringing was that like yeah it's t- honestly that was the moment that I knew my mom had become a different person because I remember being in the car with her and she said something about people who are gay and I was like wait a second you think it's not okay that gay people get married and she basically said that that was the case and I was oh. like oh my god you become a different person yeah, like our god I was like changed. our godparents are gay you that's who would take care of us if you died in you know like right. the religious context of it and now you're saying that and so I was like oh wow I, I remember that was a very specific moment where I was like oh you've now become a different person in her in her mental health journey um so sort of was born and grew up with a very uh inclusive around mm. you know lgbt generally certainly on the ranch there was there really wasn't permissibility right. to like explore that and i don't i think i carried some of that with me and i but uh, but i'm i just have always been pretty far on mm-hmm. the that end of the kinsey scale yeah uh so then as you progress out of high school and then move into college spaces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so, I mean, I, I, high school is where a lot of that started in conversations around sex and sexuality. Uh, it's when I first had sex. And I, like, I, I didn't have my first kiss until I was 16 something. It was in the parking lot. I was lot really of old. I was 20. Movie theater. Well, uh, like, real kiss, like, not just like a peck. I mean, yeah, pretty much. I mean, also, I was homeschooled and, like, living in the middle yeah. of nowhere. So, right. yeah, I didn't uh, have made that. It a I was tougher. just like, no. And then, this is good enough. and then <laughs> you couldn't find anybody wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. Where were you? Oh man. I was, oh, where was the right. Where were you? Hawaiian shirt? I was looking for you. <laughs> uh, and so then, and then I, I, 
had sex for the first time in uh I just had this whole mental journey of like <laughs> the term lost my virginity. We I didn't fucking lose oh anything. Oh my god, we, we literally this is our like, this was our intro for the last crazy one term. of our previous episodes was like uh, it, that word has gone out of my vocabulary now. Speaking to a woman at a bachelorette party who is the yeah. sister of the like that's why I was like, I don't want to use that word. I didn't no. lose anything. Yeah. There's no that, you like, just had sex. I you, had sex for the first time, you, right? Essentially, right before I turned eighteen was around the timeline. And, um, but so I, I have dated a lot of women who are bisexual, mm. um, and and have had a lot of women who are bisexual in my life, um, and and then particularly particularly uh, in high school and uh, the, the friend group that I had, a lot of people who are uh, all ends of the spectrum, gay, straight, whatever. So that was a pretty, that was always a pretty open thing. I, yeah. you know, I never really had, like, I certainly have had safe spaces since I left the ranch where if I wanted to explore that, I, I certainly could. Okay. Um, I still think there's a lot of it, it is a different context for men than women though. Even it is. today yeah. now in like in the sex positive community and mm-hmm. people I'm around, you know, if two men were like I always kind of want to make out and see what that's like, it would be treated very differently than two women doing that for sure. Yeah. You know what I think is interesting about that too is the more experiences that I've had I don't want to be in a relationship with women, but like I've had experiences now with them and like what it's taught me and what I think everybody it's like useful is like seeing different bodies and being like intimate with different bodies, like especially bodies that look like my own, Mm. uh, give me this more like more permission to be like, oh, I don't have to be perfect. And like other women's imperfections, I actually find attractive and beautiful. Mm. And like it gives me more space to be myself. And I think that that's a really beautiful gift that we don't think about in terms of like experimentation or like group sex or anything like that or like even with the same sex of like just the more bodies you see the more you're like oh this false facade of this magazine or the you know whoever we're watching on screen like is it real and it doesn't like that doesn't have to be the only thing that we look like well and even being in entertainment like I'm friends with people who I see (laughs) <laughs> on those images and then I'm hanging out with them on a yeah. random Tuesday <laughs> and it's like, wait, no, that's, that you don't, that's not, that's not, or I, I have a friend who's a, uh, a, she does a lot of body doubling for include, like there are billboards around town of celebrities bodies. That's not their body. Yeah. That's my friend who has a particularly <laughs> long torso that gets used in a lot of these photos. Yeah. Like, uh, so it's just interesting to, to see that. And it, to me, it's part of the larger culture that, we are a hypersexual society mm-hmm. in America, but we have no conversations about it. No conversations. And it's that like, is a, because like we don't have the conversation, so we have to kind of, we're mammals. We are at our core, like our DNA, yeah. all of everything about us as human beings in so many ways is designed to not just procreate, but to uh, have sex better, This be like all of those things that go with that. Yeah. And so we're very primitive bodies, frankly, in a very modern society. And so it's interesting to see those things clashing. And for me, yeah. I see it where we go, okay, we have all these things. And, and part of my journey around all of this has been, um, that's okay. Like yeah. we're mammals who want to have sex. Sex is okay. Mm-hmm. Different kinds of sex, wh- whomever you want to have sex with, whatever different body parts 
people have or how, like mm-hmm. all of that. Like we're just yeah. mammals who are doing our best to exist yeah. in a crazy world that then puts all of the sexuality around us and then doesn't talk about it. Yeah. And to me, those conversations, they're not things that I had. They were things that I, in a way, had to go out and create and find on my own. Um, and I think... Frankly, there are there are fewer safe spaces for men to have those conversations mm-hmm. than there are for women. No, I agree. Yeah, Would women you... have like there are to be clear, there are way uh, other there, there are a lot of other challenges yeah. that women have, and a lot of other things that are not safe for them to do or explore. Yeah. Um, but for men, I think there there are just even fewer places to have those conversations. Yeah, I mean, which is particularly why I've been interested in talking to men on this podcast. And what's been so fascinating when I bring it up with a lot of them they'll want to talk about it or they'll get shut down and then they won't want to come on the podcast because it's very triggering, especially when I ask men if they want to, if they have any feelings about the non-permissibility of experimenting with their same gender. Oh, that is a conversation stopper. Yeah. Well, there's so much societal pressure. I think Mm -hmm. in the same way that, again, I'm not a woman, so I don't know, but can imagine, you know, in the conversations I hear around having to, you know, your body and having to be sexy and having to look a certain mm-hmm. way and like all of that pressure, I would say there's a a similar kind of context that's set for men around needing to be straight and yep. needing to perform and needing to yes. uh, look a particular kind of way, like present a kind of way as a man to uh, perform sexually in yeah. a particular way. Um and there is there is a tremendous amount of pressure, and the the bulk of the conversation around it are around those things. Mm-hmm. So even sort of regardless, I think of one's upbringing, you are just by merits of being in this society. There's there are going to be a lot of contextual things around those pieces, and there is almost nowhere that a male who identifies as straight is is has a safe space or much less is celebrated to Mm -hmm. experiment, you know, otherwise. Whereas for women. And and I will say like, I mean, getting a little bit more into the sex positive and kink community in terms of like, you know, sex parties or stuff like that. I, there is a space for it. Sure. It's small. um, And, yeah, I, I, I yeah, it, I mean, more broadly speaking, yeah. like you really have to seek you it really out. Have you to know, seek you're it not out. going to, yeah, it's unlikely that you will just encounter it. Yeah. Um, now that being said, I, 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 one of the reasons why I have the friends in my life who I do, I'm so grateful for both my high school and later experiences was those communities were pretty open. People were experimenting and, you know, to me, it's like the high school version of a sex positive community. Like yeah. we weren't necessarily having a, you know, uh, a sex party that was more college. Um, but, <laughs> well, but, uh, Oh my God. If I was at a sex party at college, I don't know what my, it wasn't even necessarily sex, like, but it was like, freak the I, fuck out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I remember there was a party. It was a theater party. People was like party in college and drink. I'm like, no, nah, that's not actually like it was theater kids where people were like <laughs> dressed up in costumes and dancing and like <laughs> talking about art and musicals and singing musical numbers. And then at some point, a lot of people didn't have their clothes on. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't like, uh, interest. I mean, that, I think that's one of the other pieces that uh, that's so important about these conversations. And we were talking about this before. Of you know, if you say sex party, the mm-hmm. image that the image that I had in my mind was not at all what I have found to be the case. Oh yeah. Oh my god. 
Yes. And it's like, oh my God. And these, you know, if you, most people in America are like, oh, a sex party and these Hollywood liberals go into these. It's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah, it's a lot of people talking a whole, having a lot of conversations about consent. So and much what communications they, about <laughs> like boundaries and, and what they boundaries want and don't and, want. And, and, like, but, yeah. and also like we're fucking bodies that want to be touched and connected yes. to and like that has been my biggest takeaway it's like we're all just rolling around like wanting to like be loved <laughs> well there are there are very clear scientific studies that if you you will die if you don't get enough physical touch absolutely and people get depressed there was you'll I go insane there was a study yeah you'll actually go Absol- insane yeah um there was a, a study that was looking at at this uh, at people on subways in new york and they were finding that people were s- uh, subconsciously bumping into other people no, to so get more get physical touched. touch in their life. I know. Like yeah. it's so important. And I think to me, that's, that's part of what, you know, what I see was like, we're just mammals walking around yeah. trying to do these things. Like we just, we need to be touched yeah. and love each other. And how can we create a safe space to do that? Yeah. Uh, so one thing I really do want to talk about with you is non-monogamy because it's something that you've been exploring quite yeah. a bit and you've done a lot of research on. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about it because I don't know how I feel about it. At this point, like I, I was asked the honest question of like, you know, what does it mean if a partner like if you're in whatever kind of relationship and they do do something else and like if they do something physical or whatever. And, and I I didn't have an answer. You yeah. know, I was like everything in my body is violently upset, but it doesn't like I don't know if that's conditioning or if that's really how I feel like mm-hmm. in my head. I've learned forever there you're supposed to be monogamous but like what does that even mean uh-huh yeah yeah that's why i'm so passionate about this topic because first of all we are not being monogamous like the facts on the ground are broadly speaking as a species and as a society we are not at all being monogamous even when we say monogamous that means totally different things than it did 20, 50, 100, 200 years ago. And we've changed the definition of monogamy. So Esther Pearl talks about this, that, you know, now monogamy, she's the best. Um, Monogamy is one person at a time or in a row as opposed to one person forever. It's like, oh, I'm only dating one person right now. And then I go date another person right now. And and that's not monogamy either. But also, and the idea that like, you're not monogamous in your thoughts in your past, like potentially in like flirting or, or sure. Like, and what, what does that, that mean to people? Like? Right. And to me, this all ties back to the rigid definition of masculinity. And mm-hmm. I think that expands to a rigid definition of relationships and, and this lie that we tell people that is, if you, the, the, the only way that love looks like basically, or what true love is, is when you meet someone and then you no longer want to, be with, with anybody, anybody else, else or be attracted to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Now, does that happen sometimes? Sure. I, I'm 7 billion people. I'm confident that there are times where that's happening for people. But then also then that goes away. I know like people, uh, uh, friends, people I've been in relationships with were like, yes, I found the one and I know I no longer wanted to be with anybody else. And then five years later we got divorced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and often for good reason. And that was the healthy decision. But we put so much pressure, especially on women, that is you find the one, you love them, and any infidelity is... Uh, especially in America, is this like, that is the red line where you never go past. And Mm -hmm. for me, part of my passion around this is that is not what our biology is designed for, men or women. And there are some differences, and there are certainly differences in different people. Like, everybody's different, right? But as a generalization, our bodies are not 
at all designed to be monogamous. And historically speaking, we haven't been. Cavemen, like all throughout society, we have not been monogamous. The question for me then is what does that mean? How do we navigate that? What do I want? Knowing, so my journey was partly realizing, letting go of the shame of, oh, I have these desires to be with other people. Mm -hmm. I want to have sex with someone else even when I'm in a relationship and I am madly in love with this person I'm in a relationship with. And I, for years, that was a lot of shame. And early on, that, like, I cheated on uh, a couple partners because of that. Because I know, like, again, this is on me, but I, I was, I didn't have the tools to communicate my feelings, mm-hmm. to share that. I had so much shame around feeling that. I, it was that lack of vulnerability where I, I hadn't evolved and, and done enough work to be able to share, like, hey, I'm thinking these things. I'm feeling this way. And right. there wasn't a safe space to, or certainly didn't feel like there was a safe space to have those conversations. Right. Um, so that was a lot of where my journey around this started was was just so much shame around that and the journey of realizing like, no, 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 the science is abundantly clear that we're not designed to be monogamous. Well, I'm not saying you can't choose monogamy, but like as a baseline, just in a lot of different ways, that's not how we're designed. Cool. Okay. That's like a foundational level for me. Everyone, I recommend reading Sex at Dawn. It's a really great scientific yeah. look at Well, and that. just on that point, I mean, there, I think there's a lot of different scientific theories. One of the most interesting anthropological um, theories that I've heard is monogamy was created as a population control. So it's almost an evolutionary aspect that we've adopted in order to keep the population um, not going rampant sure. um which is like an interesting theory so i think like because we're so evolved in terms of the way that we can interact and our minds and conceptualize things like i think you're right all the possibilities exist and i think one of the biggest conclusions that i've heard is like there hasn't been one thing that we can de- we can determine that people have done forever because like throughout the entire world we've exhibited 100% different behaviors totally. because of our capabilities in our brains. Yeah. Um and yeah. uh that even even when we say like oh people were being monogamous in this way over here often they weren't or even now we say like okay we are generally in this like monogamous society the percentage of people who are being non-monogamous yeah. in quote unquote non-monogamous or in people say they're in a monogamous relationship, yeah. but the behavior isn't that. Right. Um, and then we say, oh, so people, people cheat or step out or whatever. And then we go, oh, well, they're still in a monogamous relationship. Well, the thing is, that's not how, that's not how we're behaving. So right. for me, the thing that I most care about is that we have these conversations yeah. and the default setting right now is one person who you are quote unquote in love with and anything outside of that means the relationship is lacking something. Well, I also think the big piece about that and what I got, like what I was, I'm still wrestling with the idea is like, if I'm with a partner and they go and seek something else physically or emotionally, depending on Mm -hmm. like what, what that is, that means I'm personally lacking something. It's not the relationship. It is me. I am not giving my partner everything that they need, which I think is a societal And uh, that is a great point because that is impossible. Mm-hmm. You cannot right. give your partner everything. everything. Right. No one can. No. Like no one person can be everything to someone else. And that's part of this 
expectation that we've created is, oh, our partners should be everything. Mm -hmm. There are things that are mutually exclusive. Esther Perel talks about this in one of her TED yeah. Talks. The, the longer we're with somebody, the more um, intimacy, trust, and other things often are created, which mm -hmm. is this amazing thing. That is antithetical to part of sexual attraction, which is novelty. Those two things do not exist. The longer I know someone, the less novelty there is. So there are competing things the longer we're with somebody. That doesn't mean you have to have sex with other people. I'm just saying yeah. like this ex expectation that someone be everything for us is insane. It's insane. That's insane. And I it's setting people that. up to fail. And we don't do that anywhere else in society. We've, we've created this world where if my partner wants something else from someone else, we then tell people, oh, that means I'm not enough. Right? Yeah. But do you have multiple friends? Mm -hmm. does yeah, that, of course. Does that mean that, well, Susan's not a good enough friend for you because, you know, you just went and hung out with Joe. No, I have multiple friends for multiple things in my life. Yeah. And, and it's, it's unfair for me to expect anyone to fulfill all the needs in my life. So where I have gotten is looking at like, okay, where does sex fit into that um that calculation in a relationship like and one of the things that I've learned is I I don't need I don't need my partner to be 100% sexually exclusive to me for me to feel secure in the relationship partly that's like it doesn't mean I don't get triggered it doesn't mean things don't yeah. come up right uh but like that's I don't actually that's not actually what I'm looking for because the other piece that I have realized is we conflate two things. What people want is security, trust, honesty, yeah. love, acceptance, a safe space. Being sexually monogamous doesn't necessarily create any of those things. No, it doesn't. And and that's what that's the part that I want us to be having conversations about. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is we make a well, I'm in a monogamous relationship, therefore I'm safe. No, you're not. Yeah. That's okay. But there are other things that we need to be talking about for so that we can have safety and intimacy and trust and exploration and all of those other things. Right. And and we skip those conversations by saying, oh, this is my boyfriend. Oh, this right. is my girlfriend. And even for the people in that relationship, they're not having conversations. And so disconnects happen because, go well, no, I'm, I am being monogamous. All I did was kiss that person or all I did was go out to right. drinks or all I did was talk to the – well, no, that means you cheated on me. No, it doesn't. And we have these different definitions that we never talk about. What are the boundaries? What right. what does have me feel safe? What has you feel safe? Given my upbringing, there are certain things that are huge triggers for me. Mm -hmm. That's on me. But, but that I, I want to communicate. Yeah, I need to communicate. And yeah, on. and so that my partner yeah. can support me in that and so that I can do the same. Oh, that's a huge trigger for you? Great. That doesn't mean I have to become a different person, but I can honor that that's a thing for you yeah. and 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 work to support you because I care and love love you. Yeah. I think that that's a big takeaway, I think, from, like, more of the fringe communities around sex positivity, non-monogamy, is the overwhelming abundance of communication and the need to express what's going on and delineate, like, okay, where are my hard no's? Like, what, yeah. is, what is a hard no in terms of, like, this really will affect me in a negative way. Or I, this is something I just choose I don't want yeah. in my relationship. And I think part of that is creating a space to experiment with that because often people don't know. And I think whether you're in a monogamous relationship or otherwise, part of the challenge is we, we create a lot of shame around people even trying something. Like you're talking about you know, two yeah. men experimenting. Like, okay, 
cool, so what? Yeah. But it's often not treated that way. Yeah. Um, and so and so sometimes part of finding our boundaries is bumping up against them. And that's often where we discover them. You know, you something yeah. happens and go, oh, I have a hard no there. I did not know that before. Mm-hmm. And, and that that can be okay. And that I think often part of the challenge in this is we go, oh, someone stepped over a hard no, but they didn't know that yet. And yeah. that, and that's okay. That's going to be partly what happens. That's how I've discovered a lot of this stuff was I bumped up against boundaries for myself or others. And then there's conversations about it. So the, the conversation is what's important. And that may mean, and it, cause it's already happening, right? We, we experience something sexually or in relation We go, Oh, I didn't like that. Okay. Got it. Now yeah. I know that there's something for me to explore there that may be a boundary for me, that may be a hard mm-hmm. no for me, that may mean I'm not a good match with my partner, that may mean there's just something for me to work on internally because, oh gosh, there's a trigger there I didn't know existed. Yeah. Um, and that that's okay for us to bump up against those boundaries. That's part of the conversation. Well, and this idea that you do one thing and you're like massively changed or you've become a different right, person. Right, now you're my not, identity, like, like oh, it and that's the thing that. with men, like, yeah. oh, you kissed a guy once, now you're gay. No. First of all, no. Second of all, so what? But like, no, yeah. uh, that that doesn't have yeah. to mean that. Right. Um, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Time has passed so quickly. Where can people find you? Uh, I am. I'm easy to easy to stalk online. Um, I'm at Ben Whitehair on all social media. Cool. Um, my website BenWhitehair.com. You can find me on all those places from there. But yeah. Yeah. Type in type in Ben Whitehair to the Google. <laughs> yes, and, and check out his many businesses, including social media. Yeah, I help people manage and grow their social media with uh, a company, TSMA Consulting. We do that. Um, if you're uh, an actor or an entertainer and you're looking to uh, make a career of it, um, working.actor. It's an online business academy for actors. Yeah, um, yeah all of those things. That I so appreciate being able to have this conversation. I think uh, it's so important. And if I, if I could give one thing to anyone whether whether any of this is of interest if even if you're like no i want a traditional monogamous awesome still have these conversations all these things are completely relevant to you and your partner whomever that is and uh the world is such a better place when we have these conversations yay There we go. We got it. There we go. Oh, that was delightful. Ben, I love you. We could talk for hours. And you probably will. Just yeah. maybe not for the listeners to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, we might have him back because I feel like we yeah, yeah, like, great. so much mm-hmm. we wanted to talk about mm-hmm. even more so. But thank you again for coming on. And as always, please subscribe uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Review us. Um, rate us five stars. Anything else? Go fuck yourself <laughs> <laughs> in a super gentle way. Right. Um, unless you want it more rough. Unless you want yeah. it rough. And then that's you do this, you. That's what this podcast uh, is about. <laughs> Just follow us on social media. This has got really off track. Yeah, well, you know. Follow us on social media at Finding My Young Podcast. Send us messages. Um, if you want to be a guest, come on. Send us an email yeah. at findingmyyum at gmail.com. Uh, have a great life. Thank you. <laughs> Stay yummy!